Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So let's talk about vaccines. The 16-week wait, mixing and matching of vaccines, holding out for a specific vaccine, all recommended or being considered by NASI. And uh, there are also, of course, the continuing vaccine developments as far as variants appear, the mutations of the vaccine. Dr. Joseph Blondeau is back with us, clinical microbiologist and head of clinical microbiology at Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon and the University of Saskatchewan. One key area of research for Dr. Blondeau is based on mutant prevention concentration. Dr. Blondeau, thank you for coming back on the program. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much for asking me to come back. I'm doing great, thank you, and uh, and I hope the same for you. Yes, sir. Uh, so let me just ask you the one of the most <laughs> questions I've, I've been meaning to ask, and I just haven't done it. How does a virus mutate, and do vaccines affect how a mi- virus mutates, creating variants? Does the virus recognize what a vaccine is accomplishing in destroying the virus and react mm-hmm. to protect itself? No, I, I think that that's probably not like science fiction what ends up what what ends up happening is that uh, mutations occur as a as just an error in replication of the virus when you when you think about um, well I can I can put it another way we know that in bacteria for example for every hundred million bacterial organisms you have you will have one spontaneous mutant that occurs within the population so it just it's just a natural uh, event that occurs where there's an error in replication. And as it concerns COVID-19, where sometimes we're talking about much, many, many more viral particles, when that mutation occurs within the gene that encodes for the spike protein, then the concern is, is that the spike protein might be changed to a certain degree that the antibody that's raised either through natural infection or by immunization May no, may no longer neutralize that particular uh, protein. And, and, of course, you mentioned in your intro about variants of concern. And, of course, the variants of concern are those where mutations have been found affecting the spike protein. And then, of course, the million-dollar question is, is, does that spike protein change means that the vaccine or natural immunity is no longer effective? And at this point in time, the evidence would suggest that vaccines are still active against these mutants of uh, concern or these uh, variants of concern. Okay, now the one issue of discussion over the last week, particularly, has been the possibility of mixing and matching vaccines. So we have different vaccines, whether they are of the traditional variety or newer mRNA approach. They have the same objective: stop the virus or at least slow its progression so it becomes manageable. Does that open they that they have they have a shared objective? Does that open the door to mixing and matching of vaccines? Do you think? It, it does, because of, of the four vaccines that are currently approved in Canada, the two mRNA vaccines and then the two uh, vaccines that use the adenovirus virus vector for carrying the, the spike protein message, they're all essentially doing the same thing, and that is producing the spike protein, which the body sees as foreign and then raises antibody, uh, which then is protected. So it's theoretically possible that you could receive one vaccine, raise immunity, receive a different vaccine, and because, once again, it's for that spike protein, that that would be sufficient for a booster response. Now, when the, when the vaccine program started, uh, the recommendations were clearly that your second shot should always follow with the same manufacturer as your first shot. But I, I am aware of the fact that there are some ongoing investigations where they're actually looking at whether or not 
you can follow the first shot with a shot from a, a different manufacturer. If that's the case, then, then what it would mean, I think, is that, say, somebody that's coming close to whatever that window is to have their second immunization, if, if the vaccine that they originally received was not available, then they could easily receive a shot from, say, another manufacturer. But we're awaiting that data um, to see whether or not uh, it poses any, any challenges, and, and I suspect it probably wouldn't. So on to the other issue, and that is the time frame. And I'm, I'm, you're probably tired of asking, answering questions about <laughs> the 16-week wait. But what are your thoughts on a study from Catter, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which to the layperson, me, appears to make it very clear, extending the time between vaccinations from the recommended 21 days for Pfizer to four months, which is what NASI has said is all right. That New England Journal of Medicine report uh, from Catter uh, suggests to me that, that 16 weeks is not wise at the very least. Am I misunderstanding this? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, the, it's not likely that we lose our immunity that quickly. So when, you, so when we look at Pfizer and Moderna, which you know, they, they base their dosing on either three weeks or four weeks after you receive the first dose, and that is all they're allowed to promote. They cannot promote some other different uh, regimen, and that's because they didn't study a different regimen. They're legally required to promote only what they studied. But when you look at NACI that comes by and they say, okay, um, if you've got you know, efficacy with the first dose, you know, by 21 days after that vaccination, and, and that efficacy is fairly high, and it is, then why couldn't you extend the interval between the first and the second dose in order to make sure that more people got their first dose and you wouldn't lose, lose your immunity that quickly. And I think that there's some good evidence in the literature that says that, you know, once you have antibody, it, you don't lose it in four months. It actually lasts much longer. Um, and, and so as a consequence, I, I don't think that that was a bad recommendation. Now, you know, in regards to the New England Journal of Medicine, you know, I haven't read that specific one, but I'd have to go back and look at the study population and what actually were they measuring. There ha- and, and again, I, I'm not commenting specifically on that article, but one of the things that, that there have been some investigations on is looking at neutralizing antibody and, and whether or not neutralizing antibody sort of changes over time. And, and if that was the case, it would be a concern, but there are other aspects to the immune system that occur once a, a, an individual is immunized or naturally infected, which also contributes to your protection. So, so I think we have to sort of tease out that data and be careful about what it is that we're actually comparing and to make sure that if it's a laboratory observation, it's consistent with what we're seeing clinically. Dr. Blondo, what do you think of uh, vaccinating 12-year-olds? Public Health Agency of Canada said that's all right. And I'm going to be speaking with a very highly respected pediatrician from uh, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in a few minutes' time about vaccinating children. What do you make of it? Oh, I, I think it's a win-win-win-win situation. Uh, I think that we know that children uh, can be the vectors for carrying these viruses uh, or transmission to other susceptible individuals. And I think that, you know, when we get into the discussions about things like herd immunity, um, then herd immunity, I think, has to include children as part of the, the overall strategy, or else you'd have a significant percentage of the population which remains either un-invact, un- unvaccinated or, you know, have not raised antibodies as a result of natural infection. So, so I think going forward, it, it makes a lot of sense to me personally that children would be on the list of those that are, that are immunized, provided that the vaccine is safe and effective. And clearly the, the, 
the Pfizer vaccine has been shown to be safe and effective in, in children. And, um, and, and I think it's, it's not only the 12-year-olds enough, I think it's probably going to go lower as well. So I'm into circling dates on the calendar for some reason today. I have no idea why that is, but, uh, but I'm doing it. So <laughs> is there a date that we might look at the calendar, at least get out the pencil with the eraser at the other end, and circle a date as a p- possibility for herd immunity to be reached in Canada, um, given the fact that we have the variants and we have the, the vaccines coming in a little more quickly now? Could we, is, it, is it possible to circle a date? I, I tend to be quite optimistic. Um, you know, we, we've had other pandemics in the past, perhaps uh, not as large as this in, in recent years, um, and they ultimately come to an end. Now, the, the two unknowns with this one is, you know, when will it come to an end, and, and will it ever come to an end, or will we be looking at sort of a seasonal uh, uh, vaccination program similar to what we see for influenza? No, nobody knows whether that's going to occur or not. But I do think that looking at the immunization rates in Canada and what the projected, you know, sort of delivery of vaccines are and, you know, the plan for immunization, uh, I think that we're probably looking in the summer, perhaps midsummer, uh, when we're probably going to see some real positive benefits to uh, the vaccine program and the levels of immunity being such that perhaps we can see some restrictions start to be lifted. I- I'm quite optimistic about that. I don't know that as a fact, but uh, I choose to be optimistic and say that, we are going to get back to normal. Well, you know, I've made a life experience out of marching to the beat of my own drummer, but I will tell you, I'm looking forward to being part of the herd again at some well, point. Everybody's tired of this. Um, everybody wants this to be over and they want to get back to normal. And, yeah. you know, my hope for everybody would be that, that once we start to see some degree of normality come back, that you'll no longer take for granted the things that, you know, sort of been taken away from us during this pandemic, that you'll enjoy them even more. And, and I do think we'll see that day come back. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 